The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Johnny Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan I'm debt. so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my When's parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money. Managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you to create better financial habits. Envision your long-term goals and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of Johnny, Sestina, and Company are on deck to show you the way. Welcome to Managing to be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. This is your host, Stephen Lucan. We hope all our listeners had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday and on to the holiday season ahead. Today we have a special special show. Uh, we bring in, we're bringing in a guest to talk a little bit about proprietorship, owning a business, and starting up a business, ironically, in 2020, of all things. Um, I'm going to give a little backstory here. This past uh, winter, early spring, my wife says to me, uh, hey, there's a new business in town. They make cookies. Would you like to order some cookies? I said, sure, let's order some cookies. And my wife puts the order in. She tells me, okay, they're going to be delivered Saturday morning. I'm like, how can there be such a scheduled delivery for Saturday morning? But let's go with it. Okay, fine. So we'll get them Saturday morning. Cookies show up Saturday morning. A beautiful box. Best part about it is they were warm, delivered nicely, packaged, and boy, did I enjoy my day. Um, and with that, we have the owner of Lions Cup Cookies with us, Brad Kaplan. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So how did this all start? So... It was about two years ago would be what I would say the official start was. So it was right before Thanksgiving 2018, and I was getting ready to go to my mom's. And for some reason, I decided I wanted to make cookies for it, and I was always a fan of pumpkin stuff. So I looked up a recipe for pumpkin cookies, and I made those the day before I went there, brought them there, and I kid you not, I had a, a, one of those cookies with every single meal for two days straight. So I spent the <laughs> night, I had it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for two days in a row. So then I got back. And I kept making cookies. I made that same batch. And after a couple months of, of making cookies all the time, I eventually figured out, okay, what I have here I think is special and I think I have enough life experience to do something with this. And that's essentially how it started. Really? Was your background culinary of any kind? No. My background up until June of 2020, so only a few months ago, I was a civil engineer. And I worked for the same firm since I graduated college. I've always loved to cook. That's about okay. where it stops, but I never knew how to bake. I don't know how to bake anything else but cookies. Okay. So I was a pretty stereotypical guy in that I, I lived on the grill and in the backyard using the smoker and stuff like that. The art versus the science. Pretty much, right? yeah. You know, baking really <laughs> is like a, it, it's such a science. It's and the fact that, you know, if you're on a grill, you can like, you can, if something's going wrong, you can change it. But once those cookies hit the oven, you just have to wait till they come out to see if it went wrong and then you have to try to figure out how it went wrong. Right. So you said you started to bake these cookies. Was it you coming up with your own recipe or was there a base recipe that you had had? So it started off with me just Googling that pumpkin recipe. And then after a while, I'm like, well, I don't like these normal size cookies. I'd rather have a huge cookie. So if you take normal dough and you try I, to make a I huge like the cookie, way you think, by the yeah, way. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather have a baseball. So right, right. But if you do that with normal dough, it'll just spread. Right. And you'll get this really thin wide cookie but I'm like I, that doesn't do anything for me i want this like thick cookie so then i start i start to google 
thick cookie recipes. And I'm looking at all these recipes online and you start seeing some commonalities between them. And at that point, the engineer and me started running controlled experiments, essentially, ah, yeah. where I would add a little bit of this ingredient that I'm seeing in these recipes. And then the next time I would add a little bit of a different ingredient. So I started to learn without even really trying to what each ingredient does to the cookie. And eventually I had something I thought was really, really unique. And going back to our first experience, that's what I, I envisioned. Okay, cookie, the traditional flat cookie. But these these are not, as you said, they're, I don't want to say they're baseballs, but these are really solid almost like a size of a scone, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're legit. Right. And, and you'll see a lot of big cookies that are wide, but these right. ones are more thick. So they have right. this really, really unique texture, which I think really sets them apart from anything that I had tried previously, which was really the basis for me thinking that I had something special. Okay. So who, who beside yourself said, I'm going to, I'm go ahead and let's try this. So let's turn this into a business. When did that come about? About March. And originally it was my brother and I, I approached him with the idea and I said, Hey, I, I have this idea. I think I want to do something with it. Do you want to do it with me? So early on, it, it was the both of us and we formed the legal entity then May 1st, 2019. And we still didn't know what it was. I just knew I had an idea. Okay. And luckily I had the foresight to start an LLC early so I could funnel the money through that early on. Wonderful. Right. That's, and that's what we talk about with financial planning is if you're going to be a business, be a business, do it the right way, establish the entity itself. So that was a good first step. Um, where did, where did it go from there as far as the test kitchen? Was it your own kitchen? It was just my home kitchen. Yeah. I, I was, it was really all me early on and my brother and I were close enough where we recognized that pretty, pretty soon after we formed the LLC in about July, we kind of just sat down and it was very evident that I was more passionate about it than he was. So it just turned into a passive investment he made for a small piece of the business. Okay. And then how, at what point did you decide, okay, engineering was great. I love it, but I'm switching 100% to proprietorship. Was there a break in that? Between when, so I, I it was this past June. Okay. So it was once the business got to a point where A, it needed my full attention and B, I could support myself. Granted, I took a 25% pay cut to do it. I didn't sure. pay myself for the first three to four months. I right. just started paying myself very, very little recently. And the you know, I could afford to pay myself more. But my thought is right now when we're in growth stage, that money is better off in the company than it is in my pocket. And I can afford to live on a very, very small salary. I don't need much. I live a very simple life. Okay. And at what point did you say, okay, aside from the traditional pumpkin or chocolate chip, you started expanding recipes, menus, options. How did at what point do you say, okay, it's time to expand this uh, selection? So early, when I started doing pop-ups, we had probably four to six cookies, and they're all like pretty standard stuff. It was about a couple months ago. I'm like, let's get aggressive with with coming up with a ton of new stuff, and that's how we went from a menu of like 12 cookies to now 30, 37. And by the end of 2021, we'll probably be at 100 if I had to guess, right. maybe more. I saw on your website you talked about the pop-up. You said that North Market. Right? Yeah, that was the first time Flip, we did. Flipped your table. <laughs> yeah, I literally did. We just popped up a table, and at that point, it was really just me and my mom and my brother were helping me out. And since then, that first day I did a pop-up was December 14th. So we're coming up on a year, and now I have 11 employees. So a lot more help than I used to have. We we don't do pop-ups anymore. Obviously, right. we're delivery only for the time being. Yeah, didn't you said? I think you said your mom had a. a experience in the baking industry is that where you really found your your passion is watching her i didn't really get to see her do it is once okay. i graduated high school she moved to north carolina and she had retired at that point so she wanted to start her own uh, business to keep her busy she always liked baking so she did a bakery i saw very little of it 
Okay. So I was in Columbus. She was in North Carolina. Right. Okay. Yeah, because I, I when I helped my mom with cookies, I usually got yelled at because I was scooping out of the bowl before it went to the oven. Right. And so, <laughs> like when that's what everyone does in their kid. They right. they eat the dough and they right. try to eat the cookies right when they come out of the oven, which is another pillar of the company. Is we want to serve these really really warm cookies. It's just like any other food. It's best served fresh. So why isn't anyone around town? paying enough attention to serving the product in the way it should be. And, and that I, was I will tell you, that was the for me the number one first impression aside from the box was when I felt the warmth of it, I said, Oh my gosh, these are warm and is there anything better, right, than a warm cookie, so. right? I don't think so. Um, it's up there. It is. And we don't like reheat anything. It is out of the oven into the box to the consumer. And that's to me what has been most important for our one of the most important things is just that people are so surprised by that quality when it gets in their hands. Like, whoa, like, I'm not used to this. Yeah. The the uh, whole aspect of de- developing the recipes and so forth, and how did you, any concerns with, with delivering a warm cookie as far as making sure that happens? Because you started, we're going to get into this in the next segment as far as that when COVID hit, but making sure it delivers. That is a standard you're trying to keep, right? Absolutely. And it's not that hard just because we've always focused on that. So when, when we when we transitioned into delivery, the, the the foundation of us doing delivery centered upon, okay, how can we continue to get this level of quality to the consumer? So every single decision we were making was centered around, okay, if we do that, can we still keep them warm? So because we were focusing so heavily on that and not on other things, it wasn't that hard. Fantastic. Well, we're coming up on a break here. Again, we're talking to the proprietor of, of Lions Cup Cookies, Brad Kaplan. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and Company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to be Wealthy. This is your host, Stephen Lucan. In today's show, we have a special guest, Brad Kaplan of Lion Cubs Cookies. Um, Brad, again, welcome to the show. It's great to learn a little bit about your foundation, where where the idea stemmed from. We never got into where you came up with the name. Where did the name Lion Cubs Cookies come from? It, long story short, it came from my dad calling me that as a kid. I have this really crazy curly hair. You can't tell now. It's pretty short. <laughs> it was between that and this this crazy energy I had. I got a lot in a lot of trouble. So it was just somehow that was Lion Lion or Lion Cub to him. So okay. it, there, there's that's where it came from. There's more to it than that, but mm-hmm. that's pretty much that where it came where from. That was where the idea came yeah. from. You have a beautiful logo. Thanks. A lion cub head. That's fantastic. You got some swag. You got the uh, stickers. Uh, obviously, the cookies themselves. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. I tell, if, if listeners are out there, I definitely recommend taking a look in the website to, for listeners to find you. For sure. That's the best way. We have a very unique ordering system for the, it'll change when we get into, when we move into Grandview and hopefully the spring, maybe the summer, we'll have a more traditional ordering system. But for now, due to our operational constraints, we have a very unique ordering system. Go to the delivery tab of our website. There's a video there. There's a table under it. It describes perfectly. And I think simply how to order. Yeah. And as I said, the delivery service was fantastic for my wife and I, um, so you you mentioned the store. You're you're planning on opening a storefront in Grandview coming Correct. up here. Um, tell the listeners a little bit about that. So kind of how it all came to be. Yeah, sure. So the writing was on the wall back in about May that you know we were growing fast and we were going to outgrow of our outgrow our commissary kitchen, which is a shared kitchen space. We rent kitchen time 
blah, 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 blah. So I start looking and originally my strategy was, okay, we'll find another production only kitchen. Like we'll, we'll continue to operate out of a ghost kitchen. And after about two or three months of searching, I wasn't finding anything I liked. So I'm like, you know what, maybe I'm, I'm looking at this too close minded. So I started looking at locations that could also serve as a storefront about a month passes and a broker reaches out to me and he sends me that space. So I go check it out. And the second I walked in, you just have this vision in your head. And I, it wasn't something I even realized until I walked out. I'm like, wow, like that, I think that one's it. it. And then you look left and there's, there's stops and there's Jenny's. You look right. There's cub shrub. I'm like, wow, this could work. And there's There's a lot of synergy there between the, exactly. We're all going to complement each other very well. People that get kids stuff their kids like cookies people that get coffee cookies go well with with coffee and likewise with ice cream and then you got that big parking lot in the back and a lot of unmetered unpassed parking so we look at from an ingress and an egress standpoint right i'm like we can do delivery here effectively so yeah. that's you know in a nutshell that's how it all came together yeah it's, it is a great location very familiar with it um a fan of that area myself i'm going to stoffs quite a bit so i think you're, you're going to enjoy that location um good luck with that thank you now a quick qu- question question regarding the ghost kitchen right that sort of uh with the whole covid shutdown came they they became a little bit more popular because you 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 had to change you had to pivot didn't you with when covid hit what was your where were you going and then all of a sudden had to stop and pivot and do the deliveries was that a something you had to yeah on the fly it very very quickly so the way we got into delivery was at the time not a strategic decision by me at all it wasn't me saying here's how we can grow now it was because I had three employees at the time and two of them came to me and they were working four hours a week with me. So it wasn't like I was a huge piece of their income, but two of them came to me on the same day and said, Hey, we have lost our jobs. So if there's something you can do to keep us busy, that'd be great. So I just felt an obligation to do something. You know, we can't do pop-ups anymore. I think the only thing that'll work here is delivery. So a week later, we put together a delivery service, and everything we were doing was manually early on, and that was back in March and April, and here we are now, and you know, technology is doing the vast majority of the work for us, so it was really a decision made for what I like to say are the right reasons, and it just so happened to be the correct strategic decision. When you were getting into the... Um delivery pre-delivery your intent was just pop-ups along the way is that was yeah, your so primary focus 100 percent. so my original vision was to open up a cookie cafe that people could come enjoy a cookie grab and go and we we're going to work up to that just by building an audience slowly by doing pop-ups and it was working early on every single time we did a pop-up we were breaking records at the north market each time we're selling more cookies and we're selling out faster and we're getting a little more efficient and so when Corona hit, we can't do pop-ups anymore, right. and we don't have a storefront. We're operating, out of, we're operating out of essentially a factory. So we really had a couple options, and I thought delivery would be the best one. It was by far the most challenging. There's a reason that most restaurants don't do it themselves is because it is extremely challenging. There's a lot of moving parts, and a lot can go wrong, not to mention it's expensive, and it take, you take on a lot of liability doing so. But we've been able to do it pretty effectively to this point. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then we talked a little bit about you establishing the entity and so forth. You obviously had outside counsel and advisors helping you establish that. How did, again, that process, what what went through your uh, uh, thoughts there? So I, I was just told early on, talk to an attorney and talk to an accountant early. Even if you don't really know what you want to be yet, just get them involved in the conversation early. So talking to an attorney was really the first thing I did. And they just guide, uh, guided us through just creating the, the partnership agreement 
And then I talked to uh, a, a, sorry, a CPA not too long after that. And he just gave basically general guidance on here are some best practices you can do. Here's the times of year you need to call me. Here's some considerations you need to make if you want to save yourself some money. So getting those people involved early was definitely a good idea. I wouldn't say that they were you know, integral into starting the business and making it functioning. That was really all all me and my team, mm-hmm. but we didn't make any really dumb decisions because we talked to them early but, on. And that's exactly it, right? Yeah. It, getting that foundation in place so you know, okay, I think it's time to call the accountant or time to call the attorney when they, you experience those um I don't want to say growing pains, but growing events, right? Yeah. Well, especially from a tax standpoint, that's where yeah. you can actually get in a lot of trouble yeah. is if you're doing some things early on out of ignorance simply because you don't know that that's not the right way to do it. Right. But And you can get yourself in a lot of trouble years right. later. Even if someone audits you four years later, they're going to look at everything if you did. They can and, keep and if, peeling the onion. Yep. And if they can hit you on something you did, even in your infancy as a company, they will. Right. So and unfortunately, ignorance is not a, an excuse when it comes right. to the IRS. Yeah. So Ben, my... My CPA has been great in helping us avoid making huge mistakes. Fantastic, fantastic. Again, we're talking with with um, Brad Kaplan of Lion Cups Cookies. Uh, for those listeners out there who want a wonderful dessert over the holidays, I know you have packages, right? We uh, do. So one of the new things we do is so we rotate our menu weekly, but on holidays or special occasions, we'll call them, we do a featured pack where we do essentially – three to five new cookies that are available now and now only. So we had a Halloween pack. We had a Thanksgiving pack. We're doing a Christmas pack. And those have by far and away been in much higher demand than anything else we do. When we already sell out on a regular basis, like our, our website cannot handle the traffic wow. that comes to it when we're, when we have these seasonal packs, we're working on it. Right. But it's, it's a, good, a good problem. It's a great problem to have. It's <laughs> right. frustrating as hell. Right. And it really keeps me up literally late at night talking to server farms in Montana and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, those are doing really, really well. So when you switched again from engineering to, to your business 100%, how, how, again, was there fear involved as far as concern or just like, were you like, heck with it, I'm just going to go jump in the jump in the pond? There's a little bit of fear, but I was ready for it. And a lot of people like to say that, that, entrepreneurs are risk takers. I don't agree with that statement. I I think that good entrepreneurs are risk mitigators. So I had felt that by the time I had quit my job that I had mitigated the risk enough where it was not a huge risk for me to quit my cushy job that's paying me a decent amount of money to essentially work for myself. I, I didn't, I was a little scared, but I was more excited. Yeah. And I agree. Like the entrepreneurs, they, it's not that they're, they're not afraid of taking a risk because they know how to sort of check checks and balances along the way and how to conquer it before you even see it. So that's how their mind works. So uh, we're coming up on another break here. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. Managing to be wealthy. This is your host, Stephen Lucan. If you'd like to learn, learn a little bit more about John E. Sestina and Company and Managing to be Wealthy, you can reach us via the web at www.managingtobewealthy.com or call our local office at 614 326 3077. And today we have a special guest of uh, the owner, proprietor of Lion Cubs Cookies, Brad Kaplan. Uh, Brad, you know, we, we were talking in between the breaks here 
How do you keep the cookies warm? So I can't share everything, but it all comes down to we bake them right before we hit the road. They're not sitting around, and we have it timed up perfectly. So everything was designed with the intent to keep them warm. So they come out of the oven at a certain time. We box them up at a very, very specific time. We use certain pieces of equipment to keep them warm while in transit. And it also helps because they're so big and they're so thick. They hold their they hold their warmth on their own. Let's say we didn't do anything. They would hold their warmth on their own for a very long period of time. Yeah. So it, it just comes down to, to trial and error yeah. and using the right equipment. Good. And when I went to, uh, when you were at the North Market, um, it was in the spring or summer, I forget. Everything's a blur this year, but... Uh, you had the nice hot boxes set yep. up, and I was able to get a nice hot, warm cookie uh, right away and ran home, and they were still warm when I got home, so it was fantastic. Um, you did a little bit of a uh, membership kind of uh, program this past summer, spring, and fall, uh, Indiegogo setup. Uh, what is that about, and where, can, where did you come up with that idea? So Indiegogo was a – it's a source – it's a well, – it's a – it's something we, we use to raise funds to move into Grandview. So to make the move, it's obviously pretty expensive because we're turning an old space that wasn't a restaurant into a restaurant. We have to buy all the equipment. So there's a lot of costs that went into that. And so when I was figuring out how to fund that, you have really, I looked at it as three options. I could try to fund it myself, which I have nowhere near enough money to do that. And you could go to the bank. And the reality of the situation was during COVID, banks weren't lending, and they certainly weren't touching startups, and they were not touching startups that were in the restaurant industry, the industry that was getting killed the most right. by the pandemic. Not literally, obviously, but it would be – so we, you talk to my bank, I talk to every bank, and they would say, sorry, we're not touching this. We believe in you, we believe in the concept, but no way. Best of luck. We'll, we'll let you know when we're lending again. I didn't have that type of time. So – Crowdfunding to me was the best option, and that it also leveraged what I thought was our biggest strength as a company, which was our really, really strong consumer cult-like following. I said they're going to want to take part in this. I'm a so... proud cult member, by the way. Oh, you get the uh, <laughs> you get the, t- the yeah the lifetime membership. Nice, yeah. nice. My, my wife ordered her, her size, so I'll have to do another membership and get my size. Nice. <laughs> So, yeah, and, and it went really well. It was also a really, really good marketing opportunity. We got a ton of PR from that, and mm-hmm. we got thousands of new customers because we did that. And you'd had different levels of membership, right? And I say membership because there's benefits involved. It right. wasn't just straight up asking for funds. It no. was a membership-type environment. Uh, I saw one for a wedding, like a wedding event uh, planning, which we, would be a tremendous uh, dessert table uh, opportunity. Uh, where did you come up with those ideas for packages? So it's a little bit of... Stuff that I thought up on my own and also talking to people who had considered going down that route or had gone down the crowdfunding route before, someone who I talked to a lot about it was Joe DeLoss, who's the founder of Hot Chicken Takeover. Back in 2014, they did a really, really big crowdfunding campaign as well that did really, really well. So talking to him, seeing what they did, and every single tier or benefit was a huge value. And it was very, very obvious that that was a huge value. So that's why we hit our goal within 30 hours is because everything was such a tremendous value. Yeah. So are you structuring um, the storefront and the business itself? Are you structuring it knowing what we went through with COVID? Or have you made any like alternate decisions saying, well, based on what 2020 delivered, moving forward, we probably should consider that? Yes, but not as much as you might think. And, and here, let me explain that really quickly, is we're a delivery business. So we're already 
in a good position. The way we lay out our store, we don't have to make too many considerations. Now we do have like a separate line for delivery and catering that is separate from our retail line so we can handle it during peak times. And we will have a, we're, we're working on having like a pickup station. So if you do call ahead for pickup, you don't have to wait in the line if you're just passing by. But I think just the simple fact that we are a delivery business puts us in a good position if we face anything like this ever again. Obviously we all hope we, we don't, Right. but the, rea- the reality is you have to prepare for it, and that's you know that's obviously why I asked the question because, unfortunately, a lot of restaurants uh, were not equipped with the space, proper spacing to deal with the pandemic uh, restrictions on, on service. So that, that's why I just asked the question because moving forward, we're going to see society change significantly, I think, um, especially for business owners and food service. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for other restaurants was they already had a well-established complex infrastructure set up. And to take all that and to repurpose it into a delivery or a pickup business or a drive-through business, which were the three things that are really working right now, is it's almost impossible. So that's why we've seen so many fall on hard times and so many turn to the third-party delivery platforms is because of what coronavirus forced on the industry. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna even go into again. We're talking with uh, Brad Kaplan of Lion Cubs Cookies, uh, proprietor. Uh, for listeners, if you wanted a nice holiday treat, we highly recommend these these uh, nuggets of joy. <laughs> they're unbelievable. I hats off to you. That they're fantastic. Uh, where where do you go from here uh, from a business perspective? Again, infancy. You're looking at everything in front of you. Are you looking ahead five, ten, fifteen years? Yeah. So, and I've always been looking ahead. I've always been confident this is going to work. But where we are now is, in my head, okay, the concept's proven. Now can we scale effectively is the next big question. And I think there, there's two really big pieces that need to happen, and they are happening. Number one is we're putting in scalable systems. What does that mean? That means we're using technology to connect every little piece of our business so that when sales happen, it's talking to our inventory system, which is talking to our delivery system, which is talking to our website. So everything's being updated in real time, and it can be duplicated without – while minimizing the risk of human error. So that's number one. The number two, the biggest piece that needs to happen is putting together our internal, our, I like to call it just our people strategy. Like how can we continue to scale and make sure that each one of our team members knows that they're taking a very huge role in allowing us to scale? I think some places that don't involve their staff enough in their growth, it just becomes harder and harder to grow because turnover and labor become a huge cost. But if your labor and your team is really feels a part of what you're doing, it just makes things so much easier. So I put a huge emphasis on treating my team right and empowering them, which is tough at times because as a small business owner, you want to make every decision. You want to have your hand on everything. But the sooner you take your hands off everything and allow other people to make decisions, that's how you can grow effectively. Uh, amen to that. That's a really good point. Where you, How are you approaching protecting the business from the key people involved? Are you thinking forward in that manner? Absolutely. So I haven't told this to any of them yet. You're, you're literally the first person that's going to hear me say this, and I can't promise I'm going to do this. It's something I really, really want to do, and I need to do research before I make it happen, but I'm looking into doing a profit-sharing program. Mm-hmm. And it'll be similar to like a vesting schedule if you were uh, a company was going to make you a part owner, which is also not out of the question for us. If there's people that I think are truly key, I might have that option going forward to them allowing them to buy in and become a part owner of the company. But I might do a profit sharing plan where, hey, if you hit two years with the company, you will then be eligible and I will take X percent of the profits and split it amongst the employees. Yeah. And what's the, I think not enough companies do that. 
but to me that's a really necessary thing it's something i'm going to start working on here very soon yeah no it is an uh, an important aspect of building a small business uh too many people are comfortable with the larger companies and they have the the match to the 401k but when you're dealing with a smaller business your employees are vested right they are they have a vested interest and they care an awful lot so it, i think it's a great approach on your part we're coming up here on another break uh you're listening to managing to be wealthy on news radio 610 wtvn you're listening to managing to be wealthy with fee only financial planners of johnny sestina and company if you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market you've come to the wrong place if you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful tune in and take notes Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. This is your host, Stephen Lucan. Today's show, we have a special guest, proprietor of Lion Cubs Cookie, Brad Kaplan. And we've been talking a lot about his startup experience and where he's become today from flipping up a table at North Market to opening. When is the storefront opening in Grandview? We're hoping for spring, but I could definitely see a scenario where it gets pushed in the summer. Okay. But I, I think we're on the you know, four to seven months range till we open. Yeah, and you, you said you, we were talking how you had a you were very uh, happy with the growth uh, despite even COVID, right? You did a little pivot, went to delivery, and your growth has been fantastic. But has, was marketing a key part to your growth and establishment? I think marketing, there was really two huge things. It was the level, it was the focus we put on the quality of the cookie. I lied, it was three treating staff right and number three was marketing and the way i've approached marketing was i i made a prediction early on of what i thought my consumer would be and you have no idea when you start a business because you haven't sold a product before but you have to start making assumptions because that is how you craft your marketing plan so luckily early on i made some assumptions and one of the assumptions i made was my audience is going to live on social media and Everything says that this new generation of buyers really, really appreciates transparency. They really, really appreciate having a direct line to the people behind the business. So everything I've done on social media has been extremely, extremely genuine and raw. I respond to everyone's DMs, even still to this day. So people know they're talking to me when they talk to the brand. I don't lie to people. I, I don't give them these short, canned responses. I will literally have conversations with people. In, on Instagram because I'm trying to get to know my consumer and it's also fun and I think they appreciate that I think someone who's done a really really good job of that would be like Jenny people love Jenny's not only because the ice cream is fantastic it's because they feel like they know Jenny right so I don't want to say I'm taking a page out of her book but I definitely look at some of the things that she's done and I'm like if I can be a quarter of that then yeah. maybe I can achieve it some level of success and, and i'd say that the uh, the benefits of this social media environment we have been in is like you said a new generation of buyers a new generation of consumers that that marketing is available on a smaller scale right mm -hmm. where you can go on twitter facebook other mediums to say okay how do we how do we get my brand out there get my promotions out there is that the same approach you took or did, was there another avenue well, it wasn't so much promotions. We definitely, at this point now, will run some paid ads on Instagram, but all it is is us creating a, potion, a, a, a promotion on a post we're already running. It, it, the brand was more or less built on Instagram. So I know you mentioned okay. Twitter and Facebook. We do have a Facebook, but it's basically just linked to our Instagram. Right. Most of my consumers are on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So just being very responsive to those people, because back in the day, you know, my parents, the customer service platform was the phone or it was email. 
Now, the way I think people are looking at it is the customer service platform is Instagram. So even at some point, I'll become too busy to handle that, but I think I'll hire someone to still handle that because that's what, how people are asking their questions. That's how they're interacting. And the fact that they know they're interacting with me, the founder of the company, even as we've experienced this growth, I think people truly appreciate. So they know when they're buying from the company, they're not just buying from this brand that's headquartered in God knows where. They know who they're talking to. They know the people they're dealing with. They know who they're supporting, and I think they really feel connected to the brand. And that's and that's part of the community aspect, right? And that's what I think. I my personal opinion with Jenny as well is she was a part of the community, still is a part of the community. And your intention is the same, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I go out of my way to try to be part of the community, and I think you know the Indiegogo was evidence of the fact that okay, well, pe- people feel like we are a part of the community. The reason people support those campaigns is because they want to help out. And they're going to be much more likely to help out someone that they think is a part of their community and is one of them. Yeah. So how many uh, types of uh, ingredients and cookies, uh, 30 type flavors? We're at 37 right now. (laughs) But once we do Christmas, we'll have four new ones that week. Okay. So, and honestly, coming up with all these new flavors, I always envisioned doing more flavors. But that was also, we were talking about marketing, is... The fact that we come up with new flavors all the time was a byproduct of me talking to the consumers, figuring out by talking to them and through making my own assumptions, okay, what makes people buy? And I found out, at least in my opinion for us, that one of the things that made that, that people liked about us so much was that we were constantly coming up with new stuff. So when you're coming up with something new, it also gives you an opportunity to make a splash, like, boom, right. look what we just came up with this time. And it, people's ears perk up, and like, ooh, I want to try that, I want to try that. What are some of your favorites? Because I'm again, I'm a traditionalist. My chocolate chip cookie, that thing is phenomenal. I did enjoy the cookies and cream, but I do usually go back to the chocolate chip. So, what are some of your favorites outside the box here? So, cookies and cream is always up there for me. It's yeah. it's just always my. It's like the the safe haven. But then frosted cinnamon's up there, and probably the pumpkin roll or the pumpkin white chocolate are also yeah. up there. Very good. But it might it changes on depending on the day of the week. You could ask me tomorrow. I'll say, you know, chocolate peanut butter sounds really good right now. Yeah, I, I, I have, I'll, you know, you can't eat when you order a half a dozen. Obviously, you could eat them in a the day. I try not to, so I try to stretch them out, heat it up in the microwave, put some ice cream on it. It's a fantastic little ice cream's a uh, great way right? to do it. Yes. Yeah, and we also we offer a four pack now, which is actually a very very new offering of ours. Up until about a month ago, we offered six and twelve. Mm-hmm. Going back to the marketing thing, I'm like, why do we offer four? It was by talking to consumers and hearing that exact thing right. you just said. Hey, it's hard to go through six, especially when you live by yourself. Right. But if you live with just one person or a roommate or significant other, getting four is like the perfect number. Yeah, it's a good point. Right, and you don't have to fight over them either. <laughs> you can just order them again too. Um, so holiday season, you're probably uh, quite busy at this point in time. We're getting very very busy and. It, it, it's unfortunate because we are constrained by space at our commissary kitchen. So even though we could be selling twice as many cookies as we are right now, we can really only sell so much. I mean, there's a little bit we can do to, to increase the amount we sell and to keep up with the added demand of the holiday season. One of the biggest things we're trying to do right now to keep up with that demand is start selling gift cards. But because everything is e-commerce, we have to sell like e-gift cards. A physical gift card wouldn't really do anything for us. So, Trying to put that program in place, and any time you're adjusting your technologies is always a huge undertaking. So we're extremely busy, both visually and behind the scenes. So so even once you have your storefront established, do you think you'll still be doing the pop-ups at 
marketplaces or Probably not. focus focus on the storefront area 100 percent focus on the storefront and it, it really comes down to focusing on the storefront but also focusing on making delivery that much better so it, it, we do it well right now but we could be doing it a lot better and i plan to be doing it a lot better and you know talk to me in nine months and i think we'll have it a really really impressive system built yeah and i i liked how you said how you're the uh, ingredients and integration with ordering and so forth that's the engineering in you right where everything has to be harmonized and we know when we're going to need more ingredients of this that and the other thing uh setting up with suppliers was that different at all experience it was definitely i mean everything every time you do something as an entrepreneur it's different and it's challenging because the first time you're doing it so when i first was getting in touch with my my dairy supplier who is uh, right outside grove city or uh, my my dry ingredient supplier, LaPerry Foods, like those those conversations when they're first happening are extremely daunting. But now, several months after setting those relationships up, it's much much easier. So everything, every time you do something, it's like, well, this is crazy. But then you're like, wow, that was really easy. Looking back on it, yeah. Okay, well, we're wrapping up the show. We got a little bit under a minute left. Give give us one nugget of information. Where do you in ten years? Where 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 are you? Where's the company? I think in 10 years, I'm still, I'm still running the company. I think I would like to say we'll have several locations at that point. I, you know, the goal is make Grandview happen and have that be the model for success going forward and then build out Central Ohio, build out Ohio. After that, who knows? But it starts with Grandview and it starts with focusing on the community around here first. And that will allow us to go beyond in the future. Fantastic. Well, best of luck to you, to the listeners. Line Cubs Cookie is fantastic. I am a fan and endorser of it. It is a fantastic uh, holiday treat. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN.